Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Timmerman. I'm joined tonight by a new guest, somebody that we've never had on before, TJ Lundeen. He, a, uh, he's a listener of the podcast. TJ, how's it going? Doing pretty well, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so TJ is on here first and foremost. Well, the, the, the service reason TJ's on is he won our um, – he won our bowl prediction contest. I think he thumped us pretty soundly. I tried to go look at the results to see what you did, and they've already deleted the results. But it's good that yes, we're, we're very convenient. That, that, yeah, that those it, are it, gone. Yeah, it's very convenient. So what? Uh, what was your, what was your big move? What was the what was the game you were most proud of? I think I I went kind of from my gut. I mean, you know how it goes with uh, you know transfer portal and all those things that teams didn't look the same. But, you know, Georgia was an easy one to uh, kind of piggyback off of, uh, depending on how you looked at the uh, semifinal game. But I think that was my big one. And uh, just, you know, going against guys who, who didn't have uh, their best stuff, that helped a lot. Yeah, you, uh, you really nailed a lot of your big ones. I, I, I got sunk by – I had some – and I forget what they were now, but I had some, some pretty big – well, I had Clemson pretty, pretty confident in Clemson, and that didn't work out. Uh, yeah, same. I, I was able to pull it up. I've got uh, everything up here. So I had 605 points. The uh, second place was 527. So feel pretty good about that. And I don't think second place was me. Were you? Uh, let's see. There's a club Nick season on here. That feels like you. That's me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah, TJ, TJ won that. Um did a good job. How'd you feel about bowl season overall? I really didn't wrap up bowl season this year. How, how'd you feel about the bowls overall? I felt like bowl season was kind of underwhelming in a lot of ways. You know, you had some decent matchups on paper, but it just didn't really come through with those marquee games. I feel like what we found out is, of course, the playoffs, you know, this year, they were the semifinals especially were just excellent football. But I feel like that December 30th, December 31st, usually December 30th, around there, uh, there, there's some matchups that are really fun. Um, cause you had Clemson, Tennessee, which I think was a fun matchup. It was at least competitive for most of the night. That's when you had, who did Texas play? I'm suddenly, Oh, it was, um, Washington. You had Texas, Washington, yes. you had Notre Dame, South Carolina, all in that stretch. It feels like those bowls are have really hit a good stride of matching up teams that are, that are going to be fun to watch. But man, you're right. Leading up to that. And even after that, uh, a lot of those bowl matchups are, They've gotten, they've gotten lackluster. It got pretty gross there. I think that, that Alabama game was one that I enjoyed, uh, Kansas State and Alabama. But, you know, you watch the Rose Bowl, and it was pretty tough to watch Utah go to another Rose Bowl, lose it the, the way that they did with their quarterback getting hurt again. That wasn't very competitive. But, yeah, I think, thankfully, those, those college football playoff semifinal games really, you know, carried the torch for, for the most part. Yeah, so TJ is a um, – is a communications PR guy like myself uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, works with the municipal organization there. Um, that sounds like thrilling and exciting stuff, TJ. It is. It, it can be. Yeah. And TJ, um, I, I say, you know, similar to me, he, he and I, I've known TJ. We're not going to talk about how many years we've known each other because <laughs> we met as a, we were already grown men when we met. And so we're not going to talk about how many years ago that was, if that's all right with you. That's absolutely fine. That, that number shall remain uh, anonymous and, and silent. 
Yeah. But we met, we were, we were working at the Aiken Standard newspaper and the North Augusta Star in, in South Carolina. Two papers. I think, TJ, you worked at both of those, correct? I did. Yes, sir. Yeah. I knew you started at the Standard and then went over to the Star uh, and, and did a good job with both of those. And uh, I've got two football-related memories when it comes to TJ. The first, I believe this would have been 2014. Clemson was playing Georgia in the opener. And uh, TJ and I both had to work that day because we worked every Saturday and uh, had no good reason to be a- to be off. We didn't have tickets to the game or anything. We were still kind of bummed that we didn't we didn't get to go. Uh, we didn't get to stay home and watch it at home with our beverages of choice. And um, so uh, we I don't did you have a truck? Somebody had a truck. I, I remember this specifically. I borrowed my brother's truck. Bought a grill, a little, you know, kind of camp style grill, and we tailgated in the Aiken Standard parking lot. The specific right. memory I have is we had a, a vegetarian member of the copy desk, so we had to buy mushroom caps and made uh, made her some burgers as well. So I remember that was one of the cooler tailgates that I've ever been a part of that was nowhere remotely close to a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with... I mean, you could probably, if you caught a driver and got a good bounce, you could get it to a high school football stadium, sure. uh, but nowhere near a college game or or, or or a game that was actually happening. Um, but what I remember about that is, yeah, we did have the mushroom cap for Daphne, who uh, maybe she'll listen. Maybe if I tag her on Facebook, she'll listen for her own re- for reference to Daphne. Uh, she she was recently a, moved back into the area, so you may, may be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she she's... She's a good friend of ours. She's a fun to work with, and, and she's a vegetarian. And I was like, listen, we're not going to let that slow us down. We're going to get a mushroom cap, and I'm going to grill you one of the, a, a, a nice, large portobello cap. We're going to grill that up for you like a burger. I had just learned how to do that, and uh, we, we made that happen. But couldn't get the grill lit for, grill lit for whatever reason. And uh, we're standing out in the parking lot, next to the parking lot, and nobody from management ever worked on Saturdays, nobody higher than me. And I, and I was nowhere on the totem pole. Nobody higher than me ever graced the doors of the newspaper on Saturday. But that day, one of the bigger bosses wheels into the parking lot. And, and it was set up such that uh, TJ and I, and I don't, there were others involved, but I feel like you and I were the ringleaders in this operation. Absolutely. Um, And we're out there with the grill. Um, and all of a sudden our boss wheels in the parking lot and we just kind of look at each other like, well, there's no, there's no, um, there's no hiding. We're, yeah. we're stuck here. You know, this Nowhere is, to run. we're not, we're going to have to take our lumps on this one. So, um, we just kind of stand there, keep doing what we're doing again. We can't get the real light lit. We've got our lighter fluid and Tim walks over. I guess I just spoiled who it was. I was trying not to say his name, but you know what? He, he probably doesn't listen anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, he comes over, and we're in that moment where it's just like, all right, how's this going to go? And he goes, guys, you're never going to get this lit like this. Douses the coal with, uh, <laughs> with lighter fluid, lights it, walks in, goes about his business, and leaves. And we had not gotten approval to have a grill on the property. We had not gotten the approval to not be working at that particular time. We were just doing it. And I feel like that could have gone one of two ways. And I'm really glad it went the way it went. 
Yeah, I think uh, luckily, you know, Tim could look the next day, a newspaper got out. So, you know, that's that's really the goal on a Saturday is get that newspaper out. You know, we had a nice, uh, I believe it was, I don't know, maybe Taj Boyd across the top of the Aiken Standard throwing a pass. You know, so it, it got out, it went well. Yeah. Burgers and, and mushroom caps were enjoyed by all. Yeah, no, no harm, no foul there. The other memory I have related to football, you and I watched – um, one of the still to this day, I mean, I covered football off and on from 2007 to, I still go to games, you know, professionally for, for my gig in the school district and just probably the most famous person, um, that either that I've covered was, was Mason Rudolph at Northwestern. And, and oh, you and I, you and I went to that game when Northwestern played North Augusta. Um, do you have any memories of that game? Cause I, I remember some of it. I remember Mason Rudolph and Dupree Hart, I want to say, was the wide receiver. Yes, that went on to I, play baseball. I could not remember that receiver's name. And I remember those guys just lighting North Augusta up. And my responsibility, because at this point I had transitioned to the North Augusta Star newspaper, my responsibility was to get reaction art. And so if you ask my editor, Scott Rogers, I kept – looking for reaction art and it's 16 17 18 year old boys crying because their high school football season just ended and for some of them last time you put on a helmet and my job is take pictures of these young men at one of the lowest points of their life to that point yeah that and that was a long drive i want to say you were Against our dinner choice, it was a, a burger establishment called the White Horse or something very close to that. That, that was what it was. It, it, it turned out to be a, it turned out to be good. And I, I remember you specifically were not on board because your wife would have thought that it was a, a place of ill repute just from the name. Okay, the White Horse Saloon sounds like a place. I'm, the White Horse Tavern, I'm, whatever it was, it does sound like a place of ill repute. Look, at that point, I was unmarried, so I, I didn't care about you know, how it looked on my debit transactions. But I, I understand your point now, having been married for five years. <laughs> but yes, uh, those things specifically hang out. I had just bought a new car. We all piled into my uh, 2013 Kia Optima to drive from Aiken County to Rock Thrill. I remember yeah. that very specifically. Which is as far as you can go in South Carolina, just about. And it's still not that far. Look, you, you can go either up to Rock Hill or over to Myrtle Beach. But yeah, you, you, can, you can certainly see some sights. I think we had a, a better one that night. <laughs> yeah, we, but we saw Mason Rudolph. And Mason Rudolph sticks out to me in that, you know, you and I are, neither of us are small men. Um, and I remember standing next to Mason Rudolph because I got a quote from him uh, while I was there, even though that's not who we were covering. And I just remember standing next to him going, this child is enormous. That is a large man child. I mean, granted, he was, you know, 17, 18 years old. So he's barely a child if he's even technically a child. But he was, folks, he was already uh, 6'4", 230. And, And I am 6'4", 230 now. But he was a different six four two thirty or six five two thirty than I am. Um, he's he's a huge person, and I, I remember that game because uh, early on we're standing there and we're watching, and North Augusta's kind of giving them the business a little bit. They weren't winning, but they were keeping Mason and and Duhart in check. And we wow, or Dupree Hart, and we were wow, this maybe they've got a chance. And then all of a sudden they didn't have a chance anymore. 
they did not have a chance after a while. Now, um, I have stood next to some other large people, you know, covering the Peach Jam, covering different events, even more recent high school football games where, you know, Luke Doty or Adam Randall, Tonka Hemingway, guys who are currently playing high school football or college football, excuse me. Mason Rudolph is still one of the most physically imposing people that I have been around. Yeah, yeah. And he's still in the league, right? He's playing for the – is he still with the Steelers? I think he's somewhere on their quarterback depth chart. Third string, Trubisky's there. There's a lot going on in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. The, 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 they do have a lot going on. Um, so, so that's my two, my two memories. But also, um, TJ is a, is a Clemson fan. And so this is a, 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 additionally a, a good week to bring him on. Uh, on top of him being the, the greatest uh, bowl game picker in the history of the 3rd and 15 podcast. Um, we also, uh, he's a Clemson fan. And, and one thing we haven't, I haven't talked about on here is because it, it happened after my last recording is Clemson hiring a new offensive coordinator. First of all, what, what, were, what was your feeling when Clemson's season ended? How, how did you feel about the program? About the program? I, I had concerns offensively because I felt like they kind of wasted a championship defense and, that defense grew up a lot this year. You saw the linebackers become household names with, you know, Barrett Carter um, really kind of stepping into that role of, of being the rover that we probably haven't seen since Isaiah Simmons, but the offense was just stuck in that 2013, 2014 mindset. And so I felt like, obviously you lose to South Carolina, you don't make the playoff, but had they gotten in the playoff, they would have at least, shown that that defense was worthy of being there. So I would say as good as you can feel about winning double digit games, that's where I was, but the future didn't feel very uh, bright. It felt like the playoff window was closed and this would be a team that wins ACC championships and goes to new year's six bowls, but doesn't ever crack that top four. Obviously expansion will change that when the playoff comes, but that's kind of where I was, where it wasn't a, a great place to be. Well, and, and I kind of felt like, and something I never expressed because it was so far away, um, e- even just being two years away, it was far enough away that there were just so many variables that could change between now and then, was there, I've, I've, one thing I've, I guess, postulated is a nice word to use, that's a fun word, is that there are going to be coaches who are going to lose their job because their teams start getting in the playoffs. Um, there are going to be coaches, uh, I think about James Franklin, um, that it's, well, gosh darn, we're just in the same division with, uh, with Ohio State and Michigan. What are you going to do? Well, now all of a sudden they start getting in the playoffs every year and they get smashed by Alabama or they get smashed by – Southern Cal and or whatever or what have you and it starts to expose that you know what you just really weren't on that level at all even if you weren't in the conference with in a division with Ohio State and Michigan you you would get left out and my concern was that is Clemson going to be one of those programs by the time this expansion comes around are they going to be one of those programs that every year they get in because they won the ACC or they were ranked number nine in the country or whatever and then they just get smashed by Ohio State in the first round. Um, yeah, it kind of kind of reminds me of the the Dayton play-in game on uh, March Madness, where you know you're like a twelve-five seed, but you have to play that play-in game, and all of a sudden you get 
beat down that's happened to Clemson a couple of times. So, yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. And so, and especially with the offense, I, I don't know about you, but in, in the Orange Bowl, I started out when, when Klubnik started the game and, and they're moving up and down the field. They're not getting into the end zone, but it's his first start. I, I looked at my dad and I was like, maybe Streeter wasn't the issue. You know, I, I literally said something like that. Maybe it was just the quarterback because the offense just looked so fresh. But as the game wore on, I started to realize that it's not fresh. They're still calling the same things over and over and over again, and they're not really working. Uh, did, did you kind of have how – did, how did you feel about the Orange Bowl? I felt like Streeter didn't do anything to to get Klubnik comfortable and, and in the game. You know, it's not to, to bash on a guy who's already been fired, but I just felt like you've got a guy making his first start. You've got weeks to prepare because of the, the date of the game and having that bowl season that you you really come out and you have something scripted that is going to utilize his skill set and is going to get him the confidence to make those early completions, get something in the end zone, and, you know, go from there and kind of feel out the game. And it just felt like instead of doing that, it was these are our plays, we're going to run them, they're going to work, when they hadn't worked for, you know, two years, going back to even before Streeter was the guy, when it was Tony Elliott on his own. So to me, it was just kind of more of the same where you ran into a Tennessee team that you couldn't outflank, couldn't you know be faster and more athletic than as they've done in the ACC. And, you know, that's a Tennessee defense that we saw give up huge points to South Carolina and Clemson wasn't able to even remotely sniff the end zone. And that just hadn't been something that we had seen since, you know, shutter as much as you need to, but since, you know, West Virginia threw 70 on Clemson many, many, many years ago. Yeah, I, I've tried my best to forget that game, and I, I can't do it. I, I just can't forget it. I've tried. So, I think for me, you know, they make the change to uh, – is it Davis Riley? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Garrett Riley. Garrett Riley, yes. Garrett Riley. I knew it was some sort of Riley and not Lincoln. Garrett Riley. Um, there, Davis Riley is a person, but that's not who I'm, that's not who we're thinking about, I guess. Um <laughs> To me, I'm, Garrett Riley is a fine addition. He's a good coach. Uh, notwithstanding the national championship game, his offenses have succeeded beyond their talent level for years, which is exciting. But more exciting to me is that Dabo made the change. Yes. Uh, I, th- I think the program needed that, don't you? So my coming out of the Orange Bowl, my thinking was – everyone's going to call for Streeter to, to lose his job and Dabo's going to just dig in harder that this is my guy and he can get it done. And, you know, if you've read all the, the different reports that have come out, it sounds like they kind of had, as a staff, had a come-to-Jesus meeting that led to some changes being made, but Streeter was still recruiting. He was still doing all the things as if he were coming back. And I understand you don't expect to get fired after your first season. But I just felt like Dabo was going to kind of put on the hat of this is my program. I do it how I want to do it. And this is my guy. So welcome surprise is, is uh, definitely the reaction that I had to. Right. And, and we knew that Dabo was capable of doing that or that he was willing at one point to be this way, because that's similar to the conversation that happened with Kevin Steele after that game that shall not be named. It was, <laughs> Hey, we've, we've, we've got to do better than this, this, this is how our offense is going to be. 
you've got to have a defense that can you know, be competent. You know, we've got to be able to tackle guys. We've got to be able to get a few stops. And all we need is a few stops. We don't have to be a defense that can, you know, that holds a team to eight points because we're going to score 50, but you can't give up 60. Um, and they had that similar meeting, what you're talking about. And next thing you know, Kevin Steele's gone. Brent Venables is, is in. And the rest is, as they say, history. So we knew that Dabo was capable of it. But just his comments this year, I, I felt like we were in the same spot. Or we were in the spot that, that you described, that he was going to hunker down and say, no, my way is working. This way is working. Streeter is our guy. Um, but more than anything, I, I think they just needed a different voice. So much of that offensive side of the ball in particular is – Justin Gresham as wide receivers coach and CJ Spiller is the running backs coach and Brandon Streeter is the quarterback coach. And it's basically the 2008, 2009 Clemson roster is, is what yeah. it is. It's, it's don't the forget, uh, Thomas Austin is the offensive line coach, another former tiger. So yeah, that, it's, right. it's very much that almost nepotism style of, of hiring. Yes. Which, which when it works, it, 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 that, that makes for a great story. You know? And it's fun as a Clemson fan when you look and you see you know, uh, C.J. Spiller starting to get a, little, get a little gray around the edges and he's coaching the running backs. And you know, I remember Justin Gresham as the first of the notable white uh, slot receivers to wear number 13. Um, he was the first. It was Grisham and then uh, Humphreys and then Renfro and then whichever specter it is now. It's, just, it's, it's a legacy thing now. Um, but it, it's cool to see that, but when it works, when it doesn't work, you start to think, oh, man, who's is, is Charlie Whitehurst? Is he the next offensive coordinator? Um, oh, that's a name right there. That's a, I reached back and pulled that one out for you. Um, so uh, to me, that was nice. What do you know about Garrett Riley? What do you know about his offense? What excites you? So I think the, the part of Garrett Riley's package, I guess, that really excites me is – it's that air raid style, but it really focuses on the running game and, and trying to be balanced. You know, we think of the great coach Mike Leach and the air raid style. You think of throwing the ball, the wide splits that the offensive line has and, you know, 60 passes a game, you know, Graham Harrell at Texas tech throwing the ball as much as he did. And Riley comes from that style. He played for Mike Leach. He has, all of those tendencies, but really he wants to run the ball. And you look at Clemson's roster, it's set up to feed Will Shipley as much as you want to fill Moffa right there with him and hit explosive passing plays down the field, use play action, kind of take what Cade Klubnick does well and magnify it. So if Garrett Riley is a two-year rental, he's here as long as Cade is the starting quarterback, it's still a worthy investment because – to be able to maximize the talents of those guys for whatever period of time he's there, it's going to be something that's explosive and exciting and gives Clemson something to look forward to after coming off of losing, you know, two out of three games at the end of the season. And you hit on something important there with the running game. And what I'm excited about is, you know, Kendra Miller and Imara DiMarcado are fine players but I don't think they have the skills or the physical gifts that Will Shipley and Phil Moffa have. So as good as he made those guys look at TCU and, and as good as that scheme looked when with that talent and TCU doesn't recruit on the level that Clemson does, doesn't recruit on that, doesn't have that kind of talent. And they're frankly playing 
I think, some tougher competition throughout the year. And he had them looking that good against Texas and some of those teams. How good can his, can his scheme make Will Shipley and Phil Moffa look? And how productive can they be when he has that talent? That's what excites me. Well, and we've, we've seen Will Shipley, the pass catcher, in some capacity, but that's one of the things that uh, Riley does really well is throwing the ball to the back. So giving them the ball in space so that they don't take those in between the tackles hits all the time. Will Shipley's the fastest guy on the team. So that certainly helps. And then I know you're, you're going more toward running backs, but Max Duggan was, you know, Steve, the pirate was a Heisman finalist. So that tells me a lot that Riley's scheme can take someone who, Talent-wise, probably shouldn't be mentioned with Cade Klubnick, just pound-for-pound quarterback skill. He took that guy, and I know it was a runaway Heisman win for Caleb Williams, but, you know, TCU having a Heisman finalist, you probably haven't said that since LaDainian Tomlinson, maybe. Yeah. So that that tells me a lot about his skills as a coach. And we saw in the national championship game that, like, when all of the bells and whistles of Riley's offense – aren't able to get going. Max Duggan isn't anywhere near the level of a Caleb Williams, but I'm not completely convinced that if they hadn't given Duggan one more play against Kansas state and he hadn't finished off that undefeated season, if, if he finishes off that undefeated season with kind of a storybook touchdown to win the big 12 title game, I'm not wholly convinced that he doesn't win the Heisman. And when you, when you saw him against Georgia, you realize this is just a dude. He's not you – know, there's there's not a whole ton that's real special about him athletically, but for 13, 14 games, that offense made him look special. Absolutely. And that you, – you give that to coaching and, and maximizing what you have on your roster, which is what the, the best coaches do. The only question I have with the hire of Riley is nothing else changed on the offensive staff. You don't have, you know, you've got Tyler Grisham there coaching wide receivers. You mentioned CJ Spiller, Thomas Austin. I think it's Kyle Richardson coaching the tight ends. Yep. So, you know, is Riley coming in and teaching everyone his offense as opposed to when most of the time when you see a wholesale change, look at, you know, who Brent Venables took with him to Oklahoma, you take a lot of your guys with you. So he didn't seem to bring anyone with him. How does that factor into how this offense looks? And I think that's really fair. But I, I do think what I wonder is, did they decide, um, hey, you know, these, these, these individual position groups got better. I think the offensive line got better throughout the year. DJ felt like he got more time down the stretch. Um, I feel like the receivers got better. Joseph Ngata looked better in the last couple games than he had looked all year. The running backs were already – you know, when they got their opportunities, they were very productive. Uh, the tight ends, when they got when their number was called, they usually caught the ball. So I wonder if they just realized, hey, all the pieces are there. Our our players are ex- executing when they get the opportunity. They're just not getting the right opportunities. I wonder if that's what they decided. And and it what's interesting to me is that Riley went along with that. That Riley was okay with that arrangement um, because. This isn't a, you know, uh, an analyst that isn't coaching in an on-the-field role. This is an, a, a Power 5 offensive coordinator leaving to go to another Power 5 program. And like you said, he doesn't bring all his guys with him. That's a very interesting move. Yeah, I, I think 
you you know if Davos sits down in a room by himself watching film, it has to be play calling at that point. If you don't see and maybe quarterback development, and that's why Streeter was the only one to go because you know you, you don't change any other position coach, you don't really shake anything up. You know, you go from Robbie Caldwell to Thomas Austin on the offensive line. That offensive line looks more aggressive. As you mentioned, they look like they got better. So, yeah, I think it's play calling and and quarterback development. And it's a great time to do it because you've got a young gun there in Cade Klubnik who looks like he's ready to absolutely take off. And he developed because as Dabo said, I, I didn't like the way the message was delivered. But as Dabo said, he looked a lot more ready against North Carolina in Tennessee than he did when he got opportunities earlier in the year. So he even developed some, and just the, the, the play calling wasn't there. So, and it almost makes me wonder if, you know, maybe they gave Streeter an opportunity to stick on as some sort of passing game assistant. And, and he just didn't want to do that. I, I don't know. Um, but a positive change nonetheless. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, I'm sure you listened to the last episode. Um, we talked a lot about Georgia football and how Georgia is just – they seem to have taken over the sport. Did you think that was a fair assessment, or did I miss something there? No, Georgia is absolutely the gold standard at this point in college football. Do you see anybody – I mean, it's tough with their – you know, a lot of people have made light of their schedule next year. It is is worth remembering that they had Oklahoma as a non-conference game next year, which when they scheduled it, scheduling one of the four or five – uh, perennial playoff contenders. Uh, that's a heck of a move. Yes. Um, but then the game got canceled and they replaced it with, you know, Northwestern Arkansas technical college or something. Um, so their schedules like, is there anything standing in Georgia's way next year? So I think kind of the two big powers of the sec both have the same question, which is who's your quarterback next year at Georgia at Alabama. And, you know, does that mean LSU was right there with Jaden Daniels coming back to go back to the SEC championship game? But this year with more experience and with a different looking Georgia team now in the, the East, as far as competition for Georgia, I don't see much. Yes, you've got Spencer Rattler coming back at South Carolina. Tennessee looks like they're going to reload with with Milton at quarterback, but. I think Georgia's a factory on the defensive side, and obviously with Kirby Smart being who he is, a defensive guy in college, that's what you would expect. So it's really just does Georgia reload on offense? And Yeah, that that cupcake schedule that they have out of conference certainly helps. So, you know, LSU is the roadblock, and I guess Southern Cal, once you look at playoff as the the last year of the uh, four-team playoff. And you bring up an interesting point with Georgia and Alabama because they do both have questions at quarterback, but I think the answers are so vastly different. Because at Georgia, you've got three guys that on paper are more talented than the guy they've been using. Now, we all know that paper only matters so much, but at least on paper, the the guys they have can fill in. At Alabama, we saw the guy that they had behind Bryce Young this year and. I, I, I'm very curious if Alabama can get back to being a playoff contender, be off, being a playoff team, or if they're going to take another year kind of in the back seat. That's absolutely fair. I think Alabama showed some vulnerabilities this year that we haven't seen under Nick Saban in the terms of discipline and penalties. Yes, they were, they were competitive in every game they played. And, 
you know, they probably would have given Georgia a better national championship matchup had they made the playoff. But that that's a different Alabama team than we've seen recently. And they're obviously going to be depleted from the NFL draft as normal. So that's a, a question mark. And then, you know, you mentioned Georgia has multiple options at quarterback. Do any of those guys step into the role? I think Carson Beck is is the guy who came in in relief. I saw him play against South Carolina and throw some passes, and he looks the part, but is a young gun like Gunnar Stockton, is that somebody who's going to step up and, and challenge him for the role? Because Stetson Bennett, all you know, 32 years of experience that he had in college football, <laughs> he, he's walking out the door. I guess he's going to work at, at uh, Canes because who knows how the NFL is going to look for him. But you, you have to look at Stetson Bennett as during the regular season, the perfect game manager. And then when they really needed him in the playoffs, the second half against Ohio State, he showed up. So that's a big game experience that is not going to be there anymore. That's true. Well, TJ, I'll, I won't eat up too much more of your time. I'm, I'm really glad you were able to come on. It's, it's been good catching up with you. Hey, man, I've enjoyed it. It's uh, always good to talk college football, and especially with somebody who at least thinks along the same lines as me. Right, 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 right. Well, we'll have to catch up again sometime. If I'm up in the Columbia area, I'll hit you up, and, and you do the same if you're ever down here. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it.